0: From Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast discussing the market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time. Frankly, folks, I'm exhausted. It's the We are at market close on the last day of Q2, and boy, howdy, what a quarter it's been. The SP right now is closing at its worst quarter. Uh, Worst first half of a year since 1970, we're officially down 21% uh, six month period over six month period, an absolutely just grueling six months we've been through in this market as we're trading a little bit sideways and feeling a little bit of that heat from all sorts of different economic events that have just kind of hammered us for the past six months to help me sort of like go through the last six months understand where we are where we're going as always folks i'm joined by justin kramer ceo and co-founder here at mobi.co just Justin, man what's good obviously we've been you know all hands on deck building some really cool stuff to help us figure out this bear market but you know other than that how how do you feel about this uh this historic sort of um 21 down
1: yeah it's interesting times right now uh again if you've been listening to us for a while, we, we've we been talking about how we don't think things are getting better. Um, last week, markets you know rallied. Everyone's like, is it over? Is it over? We're like, guys, it's not over yet. Um, we still have more to go. We need to wait until inflation peaks. That is what everyone needs to be looking at right now. Does inflation peak? Does rising rates change things? If it does, do things get better? if they start getting better things can start returning but until those numbers change that is going to be the pin on the wall
0: exactly and it's one of those things too where we're entering into a period where there may be some interesting deflationary forces kind of at work here obviously um our annual like we're seeing a lot of other interesting inflation situations here too. We we have the CPI, which comes out more around mid-month, but the Fed also had its preferred inflation rate coming a little bit hot, hot today too, Justin. Can you kind of take me through like how, why the Fed looks at this number as opposed to the CPI and why this is still kind of a sign that inflation isn't necessarily peaking? Can you kind of take me through this real fast?
1: Yeah. So the the CPI is like a core measure that a lot of people look at, um, but the Fed has like their core, core kind of numbers they're looking at overall. And so I mean, the end of the day, like they're both pointing in the same direction. So it's it's not like, you know, one saying one thing, another saying another. So like they're conflicting. Um, so it, it it's I mean, listen, they're saying the same thing right now. And their preferred measure, like we said, is around four point seven, which is that core personal consumption, mostly excluding food and energy. When you look at headline inflation, you look at other numbers like they deviate slightly um, but again they're they're pointing towards the right direction so i mean we can get into the details i think if we start talking about the different measures of inflation and you know why they're different and the fed likes one versus the other probably going to put you to sleep so um, i I want to avoid getting into that but i think the most important takeaway is that they're both pointing in the same direction the cost of living is getting more expensive for people rather than cheaper goods are up services are up energy's up um and like we said like kind of starting at the beginning of the show uh it's going to just be more of the same until things finally slow down and i think from a kind of monetary standpoint with the fed raising rates is it's a long slow process and so i mean it's going to it might be a little bit longer until things start taking a turn early or rather late in 2021 we said that it would take probably you know Second half of the year, things get better. I mean, I think there's a good chance that still happens, but I think this first half of the year is is to be expected.
0: And no I get that too and it's one of those things where it's not necessarily a wait and see too we're also looking for any indications that inflation could be peaking with all of you know the as the Fed gets more and more hawkish on interest rates there's some interesting factors here that are kind of playing into this obviously it's not just interest rates that are having a huge effect since a lot of this is supply chi- supply side inflation the main thing of course being energy prices and our refining capacity as a country being a little bit you know messed up after 6 months of basically mayhem. There's a lot of factors playing into it here. But other things too, with inventory super high on the retail side, there's a potential to see some price falling there and sort of like core consumer expenditures. So you may see some interesting, um, what am I trying to say here? Deflationary effects throughout the summer as well, while you know energy prices keep going up and up and up. So it's going to be interesting. The main thing is going to be the key core CPI that comes out in two weeks. That's going to be probably one of the most important ones of the year. If it comes in any hotter you know obviously the markets priced in a certain level of inflation and if it gets higher than this it's gonna you know have a lot of difficulty so I'm excited to see where this goes from here but I'm also just blown away by just all of the different factors coming in and sort of hammering this economy right now Um, the only thing I look you can tell the media is really reaching for any kind of silver lighting because everyone's talking about right now how when the S&P is down this much for the first half of a year for the entire first half of a year it usually pops back up in the second half I don't necessarily see that happening Happening Because right now, these downturns are pre a lot of what we're going to assume are earnings misses that are going to come out in earnings season in Q3. Which is why, Justin, as always, I'm blown away by, you know, your ability to sort of find diamonds in the rough, especially in this, because the one company that seems to be Having good earnings information, which doesn't make any sense because it's a consumer discretionary, is Constellation Brands. How in the hell is Constellation Brands trying to um, pull this off right now? Like, take me through the Constellation Brands earnings call right now. Like, what? how in the world did they manage to, you know, stay on top of what is ultimately a very difficult supply chain situation?
1: Yeah, so Constellation Brands, for those of you who are unfamiliar, they own Corona, they own Svetka, Modelo. They're a, a beverage company. And so in the beverage space, like, typically in times of, you know, what's called, like, recessionary periods, uh, they typically do pretty well. Um, So them, other beverage companies, tobacco companies, like, these, like, kind of seven deadly sins do well because people aren't out. They're not spending money on certain things, but, like, consuming alcohol at home, uh, I mean, there's a handful of reasons, but just the the takeaway is they do well. And so that's been a stock of ours we've been watching for a while as inflation creeps up and people start, you know – Uh, looking more towards like kind of this period where they'll be staying home, like not necessarily spending as much, but spending on goods like this. So yes, it's a discretionary brand, but like typically tobacco uh, and adult beverage companies do really well in times like this. So last, we, we bought them a year or two ago. Their sales were, were doing great. And we kind of saw this like writing on the wall um, for this pending recession with really high inflation. It made sense to continue like holding them longer. And that's why we've been recommending them for quite some time now, but yeah, I mean the print came out and basically they beat revenues, beat on earnings and they they gave actually a really solid outlook for the rest of the year, which sounds surprising, but it kind of makes sense given what's going on right now and how these companies typically react.
0: And it's also giving you an idea of the market as well, because you look at this and you're like, okay, they have nothing but good news. They raised their guidance. They had great earnings, and the stock is down four percent today. So what the hell, Justin? Why why would the market knock this knock these guys down pretty significantly um, once they post really good pre-market earnings? Is it just the them being like, well, that's not going to sustain, or they don't buy this? Like, how does this sort of thing happen?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because like right now uh like the market sold off today with like bad news on inflation so like because constellation brands is uh a relatively big stock i mean their their market cap is almost 50 billion when the whatever index they're in whatever etfs they're in it gets dragged down and like so on down days even if you're crushing typically like your stock gets hit uh it's hard to outperform that unless you're like a giant name and like everyone's buying you up but i mean long story short they're just getting dragged down with the rest of the market so i think this is a you know, we say this with everything. We mean it. Uh, it's really good buying opportunities. And it's it's tough to see when you're in the moment. But look back at any chart. Any single crash creates massive wealth like opportunities for people who who capitalize. Oh, seven, oh, eight markets crash. 40 percent. You buy in and it's been, you know, 10 to 15 year bull market. Same thing in the 2001 tech bubble or 2000 tech bubble and any bubble or recession prior to that. While you're in it, it's terrible, but they always do recover. And then, like that's when the market starts taking off when you least expect it. So, I mean, these these are just like fundamental things. That's for investors who haven't seen it before. It's it's hard to stomach, but that's just you know the truth of how the markets work.
0: Exactly. And but the only thing on top of that, of course, is that it, this is a pretty wild hist, uh, historical combination of both you know a pending recession as well as rising inflation, which. You know, uh, depending on what the way you're looking at it, can either spike even more on the food side of things, or potentially there could be some relief as well as certain factors kind of play out. We're still looking into commodities prices, which are mysteriously falling. Uh, in the past few weeks, which is interesting. Uh, wheat and kind of wheat and corn kind of staying stable. Should have been spiking by now, but are staying stable. Every other kind of commodity is going down. So it's a very interesting non-inflationary signal that we're still trying to parse out here and get a better understanding for. I'm not saying we understand why just yet. We're still doing a lot of research there. But that's the main thing we have to look at. There's so many different factors happening. And so that's what you have to kind of be careful about. Like, if you're pissed like me that you missed out on um, buying in the bottom of the market in 2008 because you were literally just at the very very beginning of your career and you know scared shitless because the media was talking about this like it was the actual apocalypse uh, and you're thinking okay I'm just going to completely buy the dip I'm all in nothing awful happened the last time so nothing awful is going to happen this time I would still advise you being careful because inflation can still kind of catch you out we have no idea at what point inflation may peak it may be peaking as we speak right now that's kind of the most bullish take I can possibly have but there have been so many surprises given all of the global issues that have hit us. Like, uh, no one could have expected... In jan- like, we expected inflation to b- begin peaking somewhere around now, but that was in January before Russia decided to be like, hey, let's... uh you know, blow up the world food supply by invading Ukraine for essentially no reason. Um, so there's a lot of things that can still happen. And it's as the heat gets turned up, we're going to be sort of monitoring this and making sure we get a better understanding of how inflation is peaking. And so, Justin, I guess the, the main thing that that comes to mind, too, is just thinking more about how we're trying to find signal within noise. And one thing that's very cool about that is today we finally published a bunch of research we've been doing on the quant side of things, showing stocks we want to avoid. So it's really amazing being so some of the folks still talking about stocks that are overvalued right now. Can you kind of take me through sort of like the three pronged analysis we, you and the quant team managed to do to sort of figure out how there are still some stocks out there, even during a 21 percent sell off in the S&P that are still kind of over overbought and a little bit overvalued?
1: Yeah. And sorry, you said uh, what, what was the exact strategy? And I, I just missed that. I just want to make sure we're talking about the right one. No, we're just, yeah, talking about
0: today's the 10 stocks to avoid. Just take me through like how we are still managing to find stocks that are a bit overbought, even in the depths of this sell off.
1: Well, no. So the for the ten stocks to avoid, it's more so like stocks not to buy, like things that are, are still overpriced, um, and potentially have some sort of negative aspect. And so the negative aspects we're looking at, there's three different ones. There is fundamental, there is technical, and there is sentiment based. And so I don't need to to bore you with the details, but effectively, technicals are we see like RSI and some other things, and basically look at to see if they're they're overbought and if they're due for a correction on the way down um it's more complicated than that but that's like the simple you know kind of easier to digest version sentiment is very interesting we actually you know how how do people feel about a stock it's hard to gauge that so what we do is we actually digest all of the sentiment data from twitter for certain stocks then let our ai that we've built digest through and either spit out score. words as positive sentiment negative or so on and so forth and then the third layer is fundamentals like Price to book, price to cash flow, price to earnings. Are these things, are these companies overvalued? Do they have more room to fall? And so when we combine all of those together, the sentiment, the fundamentals, the technicals, we like, I have identified 10 stocks that actually still look really overvalued. And when you start digging into the specific ones, it's not super surprising. And so, like, most stocks are obviously down huge this year. And one of the stocks on the list, for example, excuse me, is Datadog, which is only down 8% in the last 12 months. And so with the rest of the market down huge, it's like, it makes sense that they're like still, you know, up decently, significantly. Um, and so there's a there's a handful of lists uh, of stocks on that list for our premium members that we posted. Um, so I don't need to go- dive into the details, but effectively that, that's how we did it. It's hard to believe that things can be overvalued in today's times, but like it, they really are still, which is shocking.
0: And that's the thing too. It sometimes, you know, the grim reaper of sell-offs kind of comes for different industries. Um at different times, right? So you're going to see some ad tech in that list, too. You're going to see some some SaaS in there and even, you know, some like pretty significant brands as well. It's just like one of these things where the sell-off isn't very much complete. And so we're waiting for other signals, too, like waiting to see when the S&P is going to eventually get a little bit more sideways and potentially reclaim its 200-day moving average, see when the S&P price-to-earnings ratio gets more down to about 15, right? There's a lot of other signals we can be looking into to make sure that we're seeing the sell-off begin to stabilize and begin to recover, but we have to understand that sentiment is just a gigantic part of this. Um, We're we're seeing, as it's being called on Twitter right now, the vibe session where people are feeling pretty bad about the market and the market's getting worse, but is the market actually getting worse or are we just like feeling so bad that we're bringing the whole market down with us, right? And that's something really interesting to keep in mind as well, just knowing how much sentiment plays into this. And the thing that I'm the most concerned about, Justin, uh, just to give you a chance to speculate real fast is now that we're here at the end of Q2, Q1 was a down quarter GDP wise Q2 GDP data is going to come out pretty soon as well do you think it's going to be one of those things where we get like the official declaration by um, the uh, US government that we are in a recession here in Q3 like is that going to be something that happens or is it one of those things that's a little bit more complicated these days it's one of those things that's not super agreed upon on the internet
1: I mean it's tough because a lot of like are we in a recession are we not in a recession like we can look towards like the, the indicators and see like the writing on the wall as best we can but a lot of the a lot of the time the, the actual definition is if GDP contracts two quarters in a row, and like you know, the only people who have access to that kind of information is the Fed. And so when we look at the Fed, see what they're saying. I mean, the the chairman of the Fed is comes out and says the economy is in a good place. The the chairman the president of the New York Fed says that he thinks a recession is totally avoidable. So I mean, they've been obviously wrong so far, but them signaling is really important, thinking that we're gonna avoid one. So you know, who's to say it's a, it's a very nuanced guess. My guess is we are going to like outside of what they're saying, but when you start factoring in all of the the recent commentary from them, you know, it definitely pushes in the other direction. So, I mean, whether we are, we are in a recession, I, I think is kind of irrelevant. Um, it's a, it's just a measure of the overall economy and its growth. So what's more important is how are people getting affected? Are people losing their jobs? So unemployment, Inflation, like those are the numbers that we're caring more about more, because I think that's ultimately what's going to drive the stock market.
0: And also this whole Fed situation managed to produce one of my favorite quotes from Jerome Powell's press conference yesterday, where he literally said, "We now understand how little we understand inflation." Which, thanks, Jay Powell, I really love that. That's super cool for you, and I'm really excited to see how we keep dealing with it. Right. So, just one of those things where even the Fed chair is coming out and saying, "Look, man, the economy's complicated. I don't, I don't, we'll figure it out." So, <laughs> after after six months of him saying, "Yeah, it's definitely transitory," I swear to God, if it ends up being transitory, the minute Jerome Powell admits defeat, will be just about the memeiest possible way for this to go down which is still technically on the table with Um, prices with commodity prices going down with retailers having way too much inventory needing to slash their prices everything but food and energy has a chance to go down and potentially at least provide some relief and that would just be objectively uh, the funniest possible outcome not that any of this is funny but like as funny as this situation could be and so justin as we sort of like round out the the back half here of course uh we've also had a historically wild quarter slash six month period for crypto as well bitcoin is now at 18k and Basically concludes Bitcoin's worst quarter since back in the days when Bitcoin was a dollar, back when people thought Bitcoin was fake. So, I I'm still I am still in awe of this crypto winter winter here, Justin. And as you look at this, and as you think about you know 18.8k right now, is Bitcoin just crashes harder and harder the minute the u.s market opens how are you looking at crypto still are we st- what other signals are you examining to see just how extended this crypto winter could be or is is the party literally over on crypto right now
1: i mean the crypto stuff is like it's effectively now that we've seen it really play out over a full market cycle and when i mean a full market cycle i mean in the equities market things rise they contract they peak they expand um Crypto is very correlated to to equities. It's effectively acted as a levered ETF. So what I mean by that is stocks go up, crypto up even more, though. Stocks go down, crypto is down even more. Like that's like effectively what it's shown right now. So stocks are obviously down pretty big this year. They're down, you know, depending on the day, anywhere from 20, 25, 15%. And crypto's down significantly more. And guess what? When crypto and stocks more specifically rebound, crypto is probably going to rebound even harder. So, I mean, that's the way we're looking at it right now is that it's effectively highly correlated and has a higher beta relative to the stock market than than other equities. Um, and so that's how we're thinking about this. So if you're an investor in crypto and you're wondering, what's this crypto winter? Is it here to stay? You can think of it very similar to the bear market. And so when things recover, it'll go back up. It's hard to say like, Will it go back up to 60k a coin, and specific to Bitcoin? You know, who's to say how fast that'll happen? That's three x higher than it is now. For stocks to to reclaim their high, it's not a three x return on their way up. So, I mean, long story short, if you've been a long-term holder, very confident things will rebound. It just you need to wait for inflation to come back down, which will then ultimately make interest rates stop going back up, and the stock market will go back up, and then. Crypto will go back up. So it's they all are very causated and affect each other. Um, but effectively, yeah, that's how we're thinking about the crypto winter. Things probably won't rebound until equities do.
0: Precisely. And the only other thing I will point out, too, is the main thing I want to push back on listening to crypto stands, both in Twitter as well as folks in our audience, like the main thing people are wondering is obviously the second the stock market rebounds, Bitcoin's going to absolutely just zoom past 69K again. The only thing I'd push back on is that Bitcoin hit its all time high in a period of the market where there was just an astonishing amount of liquidity sloshing around. Right. And now we're at a period where credit card debt is super high saving. The average savings rate is super low low as well. So even if the market begins to recover, that kind of liquidity within the retail investor universe and within the overall economy is going to take a long time to come back. So I am interested to see uh, crypto recover fast, like recover at least its 20% loss and like pop back up there. But I'm very interested to see like when Bitcoin hits its all-time highs again. I don't think it's going to happen as fast as some of the huge stands uh, agreed to. So the only thing I would say is, you know, keep maintaining that dollar cost averaging. But as we look here, you know, the market is literally closing as we speak, Uh, Justin. Any final thoughts from you? We're going to keep this one a little bit tight. But just overall, you know, stick to the plan. Obviously, this is a great chance to sort of build in these gains. But obviously, you know, we have to talk like, you know, As bruised as we are, since we've just kind of reported on the market throughout this downturn week by week by week by week. uh, what's uh, what's What's the game for you moving forward from here? Do you think it's like anything else we can be looking at, making sure that we're sort of maintaining strength during this? Or how can we be looking at this moment as we move forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you take away anything from this conversation for people who are listening live or in the recorded version... The number one thing to know is things will rebound. And so you might not wanna look at your portfolio. You might not wanna listen to us or hear what's going on because it's just painful because things are down so much. But things will rebound. And when they do, you're gonna wish that you were better positioned to ultimately be able to capitalize on the upside. Nothing worse is gonna be when it's a year, two years from now, and you're hearing all these people make a ton of money and you're like, oh, well, I should have got involved when we were near the bottom, you know, back in mid 2022. And I'm not saying the bottom's here, but. The bottom is likely not too far away. And so positioning yourselves now, making sure you're invested right, is how you will ultimately capitalize on that giant upswing that is inevitably going to come. If you look at the S&P over the last 100 years, it's natural. Things go up, they come back down, they go back up even further, they go down, they go up even further. That is just the cycle of the market. And so if you're a newer investor, I get it, it can be scary, but smart investors right now and what the bulk of them are doing is making sure that they're allocated to the right investments that will do well once things rebound. And so that's what we're doing for on our, you know, here on this podcast, on the blog, for our paying members, you name the medium. Just trying to help people understand that things will be better and that there are certain positions and stocks that we should be investing in in order, A, to minimize our downside in the meantime and capitalize on the upside, you know, in the time being. A lot of companies out there are making stupid decisions, frankly, and positioning themselves for short-term profits and not long-term sustainability. And this is not the way to run a business. So investing in, you know, a company like isn't necessarily going to do well in an environment like this. I mean, BlockFi just got bought for twenty-five million dollars by FTX, and they were worth six billion or close to it, not even six months ago. I mean, if that isn't an emphasis on buying strong companies rather than just picking companies you like and then being positioned for the long term, I mean, th- there's no better example now. They're not in the private in the public markets, but I mean, it it transcends across industries. So, if you're going to take away anything, like I said, just know things will rebound. And you're gonna be extremely upset if in two years, three years, four years from now you look back and you're like, wow, like I, you know, I didn't capitalize because I was too timid then. I swear to God, we just need to do we need to set
0: aside an entire podcast to sort of unpack the JP Morgan Morganification that is happening over at FTX as that company just gobbles up the entire ecosystem, JP Morgan style back in the Great Depression. Like it's totally wild. We're watching like the federal, the Great Federal Reserve of Crypto be constructed right before our very eyes and we keep literally running out of time to talk about it and so justin as we sort of a- end here audience the only thing i want to give you on the back end of this is just the other side to the coin that justin is saying here and that's there's so many different ways to win this bear market there is literally only one way to lose it though and that is by making yourself into a forced seller and so you're going to hear a lot of people you know tell you to yolo your life savings into this dip whatever you always need to make sure you're budgeting too. Inflation's going to be kind of weird and kind of creep up on you in various ways. So the only thing I want you to take away from this is the market will absolutely recover. I want to make sure that you maximize your gains through that recovery, too. So make sure you're you know, you're staying on budget. You're staying at least a little bit conservative in the positions you're adding to and make sure you're not putting yourself in a position where suddenly, you know, your bills go up even further and you have to sell some of those stocks. That's the only way you're ever going to lose. So I, that's all I really want to say on top of that, is just make sure that you know, you're know you being a little bit conservative throughout this period so you can maintain that positioning so you can rock it up during the next bull run and make sure that you know, you're know you playing that game. This is not the time to leverage yourself. This is not the time to make irresponsible bets. This is the time to just make sure you're, you have a seat at the table, you're staying in the game, and you're never being a forced seller. Either way, audience, I really appreciate you sticking with us here. Thank you for being with us through uh, a very insane, just wild six-month period here on the market. We're really Excited to see how 2022 shapes out on the back half here. Maybe we'll have the same kind of recovery we saw in previous sort of like really bad first halves of the year in the S&P 500, but that remains to be seen. Regardless, audience, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate all the questions you've given us as well. Um, but for now, I think this is a really solid place to end it. So just so you know, audience, this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All of the intellectual value that comes from this comes from our analysis team, which is headed up by our CEO and co-founder, Justin Kramer. If you have any other questions for us, you can either hit us up here on Discord or over at Moby.co. Otherwise, audience, thank you so much for listening. And as always, I'd like to leave you with peace love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.